Yesterday, my life was headed in one direction. Today, it is headed in another. You ever think the universe was against you? What the fuck? Where's our money? The law says. Law! <laughs> Fear, belief, love. Phenomena that determine the course of our lives. These forces begin long before we are born and continue after we perish. Our lives are not our own. We are bound to others, past and present. And by each crime and every kindness, Dave Klingerman, Haley Masuoka, Brian Holdren, Alex Nadenov, Kevin Malloy, Mike Fry. All right, so I'm going to start this off with kind of basic first impressions because it's definitely one of those films where let's let's ease into it. Um, <laughs> but I guess, what are your first impressions? What are your first initial thoughts? Um. Wow. <laughs> that was. Um, interestingly laid out i was wondering if there'd be like a you know a big payoff or you know if all the stories would i guess mesh together and they they kind of did but not really in the way i was expecting um but i i really liked the way the stories were told mm -hmm. i was thinking we were talking um at our, our intermission since it was such a long movie uh that it, it would be interesting to see all of the stories singularly, like one right after another chronologically, but I think while there are bits of plot that link them together, it's really more thematically linked, so it, it really does benefit from watching it all in one rush. Yeah, and it's all about just individual scenes can kind of flow into each other with like one character opening a door or a line of dialogue that essentially feeds into a scene that <laughs> follows, so I think that if you watch it chronologically, you don't quite get that effect of both thematic and just from a pacing standpoint, a lot of the stories like have similar um, beats that they kind of cover within like mm -hmm. short spans of time. So mm -hmm. you wouldn't quite get the same effective experience because it's all about how everything is intertwined. And without that, you kind of just get six different stories that have thematic links, but don't work on a pacing from a pacing standpoint. Mm -hmm. Plus, I feel like um, you know, in order to I feel like you'd be looking at almost, you know, four or five separate full movies at that point anyway, not two and a half hours or three hours long, but you'd be looking at that many, you know, it, it'd have to be that long in order for each. These all tie together really nicely, um, and you get the, you get the, uh, um, the themes from each one that you're talking about simply because of the fact that they're all happening at the same time, and they're linked together, whereas if you're, you know, individually, you know, piece them out, in order, there'd have to be a lot more exposition just in order to understand the characters more, but you understand them because you're seeing all the other characters going through similar things. So they're going to be a lot less, a lot less effective and a lot longer than two and a half to three hours. <laughs> um, well, that's, that's one thing I wanted to look at was each character playing was each actor playing the same version of the character, and that's 
that's clearly true in some cases, but not mm-hmm. true in others. Like yeah. Tom Hanks is an evil, evil man in one, and he's good at the rest. <laughs> Poor Hugo Weaving, though, he's always bad. <laughs> he's not always bad in the same way, but he's always bad. Yeah. Isn't that just Hugo Weaving? Yeah, <laughs> he's always playing a bad guy. Except the gazelle round. True, that, that works. Or a freedom fighter. Okay, I was wrong. <laughs> I was thinking of The Matrix and Captain America, right? <laughs> yeah, there were... It, it's interesting seeing... You can tell this is like the Wachowskis. I had some... There was definitely some Matrix-ish feels mm-hmm. to some of it. And especially Hugo Weaving, I always hear him saying, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, he's even whispering as like an evil person. Right. Thanks, dear. Yeah. <laughs> he's got this way of... Uh, of this, you compare like Alan Rickman, you knew like you know his game, like he, he puts space between like half sentences, like to emphasize the point. Hugo Weaving, like he doesn't know how to take a breath, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he just connects every single word as though it's one long, like flowing thread of silk. And yeah, that's just how he did in this entire movie. <laughs> Very monotone, threatening black silk. <laughs> and I like that he's essentially a giant imaginary leprechaun in one of his stories. A very interesting use of Hugo Weaving. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason why uh, the movie wasn't really well liked by a lot of people, is that you had this weird character that shows up mm-hmm. in these uh, scenes with Tom Hanks in Hawaii in the distant future. And Hugo Weaving appears out of nowhere as this mystical devil creature. <laughs> and there's I, no real explanation as to who he is or I, why. I kind of there. felt like maybe that was Tom Hanks had like a mental illness or something. Or the radiation was getting to him or something. That's <laughs> also possible. But, but his, his conception of him is wearing a top hat. And like yeah. no one in the future wears a top hat. And no one in the primitive future future society knows what a top hat is. So oh, that seemed the most disconnected thing to me. Didn't Sixsmith have a hat that was similar to the leprechaun? He was wearing a fedora. Okay, so that wasn't quite the same hat. Well, it was a trilby. Like, how dare you, sir? Didn't well, it wasn't whatever the stuff is that you know, guys wear today. It's like a little <laughs> no. thing, whatever that is. Didn't <laughs> Tom Hanks remember some of his past lives, though? Wasn't there yeah. a scene? Yes. He had a so, yeah. so, so he, he may have been... I, he would have gotten that kind of costume from the uh, early 1800s. I so. Or you have no idea what had survived. Who knows? Maybe yeah. a top hat survived. That's or a, true. Or a cave drawing of a top hat. And surely there's oh, a wait, top hat. had the, the top hat in his first scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, it's yeah, like yeah. walking on the beach. He has the, oh, the big top hat. That is true. That is true. My headcanon is that he somehow met Hugo Weaving's character from the 1800s. <laughs> and Hugo Weaving was wearing a top hat <laughs> in that version. <laughs> whispering in his ear. Yeah, just a guy who's very tired and being very quiet that day, <laughs> as you do. And, and I think uh, the, the symphony or orchestral music was like the only thing that would be work in every frame, time frame. So I'm, I'm assuming there was the, the cloud atlas for this movie, but I think it was well used. Um, yeah, they actually, what they did with this movie was they wrote the music before they filmed anything. And that was actually Tom Tickler's idea to essentially do the entire score without the movie being even shot and then figure out where to put the score. So hmm. that Cloud Atlas sextet was actually written prior to anything being filmed. Hmm. Oh, that's... And actually was written by Tom Tickler, one of the directors. Wow. It worked really well throughout the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. So. Um, so I, Kevin has read the book Cloud Atlas, and so have I, so I kind of wanted your thoughts about um, how the choices that they made for the movie versus um, the book as far as uh, 
dividing up the different stories if you wanted to I think the way that they divided the stories worked extremely well for film, and if they divided the stories the same way they did in the book, it would have been, kind of like Mike said, just a bunch of two-hour-long movies strung <laughs> together by basic, like, thematic points. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So <laughs> something that worked really well with the way that the movie was divided, though, is that they had kind of those thematic highs and lows kept on having... Uh, they coincided with one another. Mm-hmm. So whereas with the book, you just kind of had to follow how the plots were strung together mm-hmm. in this fashion, they actually were happening at the same time. And you were seeing characters at like those certain desperate situations at the same time and linking the same way. Mm-hmm. And they also casted it really well and made sure that there wasn't the same actor having the same problems at the same time. <laughs> they kept mm-hmm. it split up. So the whole cast was working uh, for the full range of emotions throughout different points. So is the book, like, split, uh, are the stories split up, like, by chapter, or? Yeah, they're split chronologically. So during okay. Frobisher's uh, story, he has the point where he's reading the diary of uh, Adam Ewing, and he points out, like, it cut off halfway through the page, and it kind of is awful because a half-finished book is like a half-finished love affair. Sure. So you're reading the first half of Adam Ewing's story, and it just cuts off mid-sentence after one page. <laughs> wow. And then and, it goes into the next one. And then it, so it goes in order, and then the, the last one with Zachary is double long, and then it goes backwards. Interesting. Yeah, so you get sort of the first half, and then it ends each one at some sort of cliffhanger mm-hmm. halfway through the story. And then when you get to the final one, they find the last half of it, and that's when you kind of lead into the final half of the story that preceded it. Mm-hmm. It's very strangely written, but it's one of my favorite books of all time yeah, because I, of that. Really after Russian, watching... Russian nesting doll of stories. It really <laughs> yes, it's a Maricosa doll of stories. Is yeah. the film itself actually faithful to the stories in the book, or did they take a lot of liberties? I'd say the only one that it took a lot of liberties with was the Sown Me story, mm. which mm. I really am mad about because the Sown Me story in the book is a really great take on that dystopian future. And everything else is more or less really faithful, but that one they had to mm. cut a lot out because it requires a lot of exposition mm. about what's going on in the future. Sure. Mm. Yeah, and then the other thing they changed too is the movie is oddly more complicated than the book. It's the, <laughs> the only time that that's the case the Wachowskis added complex <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't why yeah, I, the first half I'm shocked where is this where is this going <laughs> yeah and then, but then suddenly things started to kind of make sense mm-hmm. there was like a moment or a couple moments where it started to make sense and it just tied together really nicely yeah, yeah. when but, I was watching it the first time uh, it's the line by Jim Broadbent where he's like if you just bear with me yeah. there's some methods <laughs> in the madness and that was when I was like okay uh, I'll, I'll watch this for a minute. And I wound up loving the movie, so I'm glad I did. <laughs> and uh, the way in which they made it more complicated, so that birthmark, that comic birthmark mm-hmm. in the story, yeah, it's on those same people, but it sort of suggests that that's the same soul throughout all six stories. Oh, okay. Where the way they made it more complicated is that birthmark kind of indicated you're the star, you're the main, this is the, the main focus. character. Yeah. Um, but you follow that person's soul in the form of that actor throughout time. So you see if that um, actor 
you know, he, like Zachary, uh, or I'm sorry, Tom Hanks's character starts as an awful person who then kind of evolves to be a good person, or he believing that that just stays evil for yeah, his whole life. Or... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was wondering how that, how that, I, I, I could kind of tell that from the movie, and I was going to ask about that, because I, I thought, I felt like that's what they were trying to say, but I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've heard people say that they didn't quite realize that that was what was going on in the plot, that it was like one soul, and that you would identify it via the actor moving on from story to mm-hmm. story, but I actually think mm-hmm. that's very clearly laid out in several scenes, particularly the one with um, in the 70s with Tom Hanks and Halle Berry, that scene where he says, I almost, when I was opening that door, I almost knew it would be you mm-hmm. when I was mm-hmm. walking through. I think the movie itself lays out that idea um, subtly throughout, and then kind of, you realize through key moments, like Tom Hanks having the vision when he's like dreaming in the future story, and other like little moments, like when you're talking about the soul, how it moves on. Mm-hmm. Like the afterlife scene with Son Me was kind of pretty indicative that that was kind of hinting at that. So I think that it's clearly laid out, but I can see why some people it wouldn't quite realize that that was what the Wachowskis and Tom Tip were, were trying to go for, mm-hmm. but I think it's clear. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think? think about um, just the same actor playing so many different characters and the makeup involved. Were you able to suspend your disbelief or did it take you out of the moment? I guess, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I mostly okay except for Spons, uh, Jim Sturgis. Sturgis? Sturgis. Sturgis. Jim Sturgis. Um, I, okay, that entire, so that whole bit, um, I forgot her name, I, I, I couldn't pronounce it. Um, Sonbay? Sonbay, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Um, that whole thing, like, all I saw were play-ons, because <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't get past the makeup. Um, <laughs> like, anyone who, you know, like, like it just didn't, it, that didn't work for me. Right? Yeah. It just didn't, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they took it to the extent that, like, they were putting entirely too much makeup to make them unrecognizable, just to be like, oh, here's a little teaser. Yeah. You know, Halle Berry was in this time period as like an old white lady. So. And you know, I'm actually, I'm sorry, I said Clans, I meant Vulcans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the eyes. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I meant Vulcans. Because yeah. even like the eyebrows were a little different. Yeah, like, yeah. In, in fact, that first scene where he's interviewing, uh, what's her name? Sonmi. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was thinking, wait, is that the actor that plays <laughs> Spock in the new yeah, Star new, Trek? Like his intro was very futuristic too. Yeah. Him. My first thought was Benedict Cumberbatch, but it wasn't Benedict <laughs> Cumberbatch. <laughs> he would have been able to do this movie quite well, though. Yeah. I'm kind of yeah. mad that they didn't get him. <laughs> There's a, a certain interesting problematic element to the movie that is problematic, but I think the Wachowskis find a way sort of around it is that there are a lot of actors in yellow face and a lot of switching between cultural <laughs> cultures, and it's it certainly, to a degree, could have been really offensive, but the Wachowskis go all out to the point where they're having like people playing like all over the spectrum, mm-hmm. even yeah. just having Duna Bay play Stone Meat play a, a white woman, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they kind so. of 
go all out to such an extent where it's not quite as bad as, say, you're watching, like, Gods of Egypt with white people playing Egyptian characters. It's a little bit more like they were aware that this would be a criticism and Mm -hmm. tried to at least be as inclusive is not the right word, but Mm -hmm. to try and find a way where it wouldn't be as bad as if you would have, like, a white person playing an Asian. Mm Mm-hmm. It's problematic, but it doesn't ruin the movie for me. And I think the makeup work is fantastic 90% mm-hmm. of the time. There's a few moments where I wasn't quite so crazy yeah. about it. But when you, like, realize that there's some, like, say, Hugh Grant as the, the tribal leader or moments like that, mm-hmm. that there is absolutely top-notch makeup work that mm-hmm. even the mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't work, you can kind of forgive it because the stuff that works is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really have to agree with that in the sense that they did make sure that like, everybody was playing a wide mm-hmm. spectrum of yeah. different cultures. Whereas if they just had one guy and it's, it's like an one Asian white person, you're white, playing yeah. an Asian in this scene and that's it. Mm-hmm. That would have been way more offensive yep. because mm-hmm. they had so many people and they had to go across the board so many times. Mm-hmm. You could tell that it was a thematic choice for the movie as a whole. Yeah. Right. Um, and not just like a one-off, let's cast a white person for this role, even though we could easily mm-hmm. get an Asian actor to pick to be in there right and i mean i also feel the same way but i also feel Mm -hmm. awkward because i am a white woman so maybe i'm i know crazy (laughs) um so yes but i feel you know that maybe if i wasn't maybe i would feel differently but Mm -hmm. at least from my standpoint i think it's kind of beautiful the idea that you know the soul it doesn't matter what race gender age you know that it just like carries on you know despite everything the one thing I don't think they did, which was probably a wise move, was blackface. I don't think any white actor actually played a black character at any point in the movie, so I'll at least give them that, that they at least avoided that. But the yellow face is still problematic, too, but they didn't do blackface, so that was at least probably a wise move. Yeah. yeah, blackface never seems to go over yeah. well, regardless of context. <laughs> Although, Robert Downey Jr. and Tropic Thunder people were able to enjoy, but he was playing a guy... Playing black, yes. I don't think a race, performance so a like that would ever actually exist in 2017. I feel like that was like the last time we would ever actually see a performance like that uh, and be accepted because ultimately we have not seen anything like that since it's probably a good thing because uh, it would be offensive. Yeah, mm-hmm. it wouldn't go over well with anyone. And there's still a problematic degree to that character, but at least it's like mocking the idea of blackface itself, <laughs> so... There's a thematic purpose for it in Tropic Thunder, but yeah, don't, don't do blackface. Not a good idea. <laughs> good advice. <laughs> don't do blackface ever. Um, so what stories resonated with you the most, and what stories did you feel maybe fell a little flat or you didn't connect with as much? Um, well, the story I like the most is the Neo Soul with Sunmi and um, the the Frobisher story. I think those are the two best stories in the movie. The one that I would say is the weakest, but not necessarily bad, is Adam Ewing, which I felt like the movie devoted the least amount of time to. Because like when you kind of think about what happens in that story, it's kind of not really that much, and it almost feels like the movie itself kind of gave that one the short shrift when you're like really analyzing it within the context of all six stories and i don't think it's bad but i think it's the least engaging at least every time they cut to that one i wasn't quite as like on the edge of my seat than on some of the other Mm -hmm. ones 
Not to be that guy who always has to like nudge his glasses and talk about the book whenever it's based <laughs> off of a book. Oh, but that, guy, <laughs> that is say. like that and the Zachary chapters are two of the hardest parts of the book to get mm. through because for the Adam Ewing ones, the language is so archaic. Oh. And then for the Zachary ones, it's all in this futuristic Pigden language that mm-hmm. is a combination of English and several other languages was that... it pigeon that they were speaking because that was what i thought was the yeah. language that they were yeah it was supposed to be just kind of like an english variation and i know the author really looked into other languages around like polynesian islands to try mm-hmm. and yeah, that's... blend it well mm-hmm. but it's just between those two the language is so hard to get through that they're the toughest for people to read, and that might be why the Adam Ewing story got less justice in the movie, uh-huh. because it's a dull story where not as much goes on. Mm-hmm. And it's still a little bit gripping, because you have this, you know, yeah, sort true. of murder mystery happening around the main character, but mm-hmm. it's still just, you're reading it as if it's a journal in the 1800s, mm-hmm. which isn't not everybody's <laughs> favorite thing to read. <laughs> I did, like, uh, there's a lot of, like, little... Hints and stuff. So, like, one, the, the jailbreak of this asylum, when he thinks he gets out the first time, he's like, some of the greatest people, yeah. the greatest people, and lo and behold, that, that is relevant later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that those touches are not usually within their own story. Yes. It's within yeah. a different yes. story. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Also, there, I think another one where um, he said, like, re- well, reading half a book is like having half a lover or whatever. He shoots the composer. You watch the the cartridge, the shell casing roll to a nightstand, and the other half of the book is probably on the nightstand. Yes. Yeah, that yeah. Actually, that's in the book. Too. Oh, that's in the book. He finds the other half of it underneath that nightstand okay. after he shoots. <laughs> oh, really? Spoiler nice. alert. Okay. <laughs> um, there's a new one that I caught that I've seen this movie so many times, but I didn't catch it. Is in the very beginning when Louisa Ray. Uh, when you first see her, there's that annoying like asshole that she's mm-hmm. trying to get away with, mm-hmm. and she's like. Um, oh, the only thing I can imagine is just pushing him off of uh, or the railing. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I think that's the same guy, like, isn't it? I think it that's the be. same author in the next story the that pushes <laughs> off. Like, is it this trucks over the edge? Is it the same actor playing him, or is I it literally the same character? I think it's the same character. Just no, no, it's not. So no. Well, no, why wouldn't it be? Because it was in the 70s versus the 2000s, because he was younger. He was young, had blonde Oh, maybe. I think hmm. it's the same character, just younger. Wow. Just to say, um, the Wachowskis were not being very subtle with their snipe against critics in that, <laughs> <laughs> that scene. I, I can tell that they were pretty bitter about how people responded to Speed Racer, which I think is a fantastic movie, but understand that they put all, all their like effort in, but that people didn't really like acknowledge it as being a good movie. Though It's gotten a bit of a cult following since, which I appreciate. And probably Matrix Revolutions, they were also probably not too happy that people mm-hmm. didn't like that one either. And yeah, throwing the critic off the, uh, the edge and making the comment, oh, critics are people who don't quite pay attention. Or mm-hmm. Someone's a critic, but someone who reads too quickly. Reads too quickly, yeah. yeah. yes. something like that. Yeah. yeah, very subtle stuff. I might have to rewatch this movie now just to see if it's the same guy. Yeah. Or reread the book, like I something. <laughs> That's something that David Mitchell does. He does that in the Bone Clocks as well. There's like recurring characters who you don't quite realize it until later that, mm-hmm. oh, that guy was in earlier chapters as a uh, inconsequential character, but he just still exists and is there. All right. 
and he does that throughout books, which is why he's an awesome author, and I love him. <laughs> um, I mean, this is kind of like, I guess, a heavy thing to ask, but just like, what did you get from the movie? Or were there any like messages or themes or lines that really stuck with you? Or, yeah. <laughs> it's a cheesy one, but an ocean is nothing but a series of drops. I really love that line. It's yeah. not exactly. Um, it it's it sums up the movie extremely well, I think, and just the. I don't know if it would. I'd say the themes, but it's a just a great line of dialogue that. Shows, especially as a comeback, right? Yeah, it was a yeah, great comeback yeah. in that scene. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It was and, a mic drop moment. For yeah. Him. <laughs> also, I'm taking your daughter and leaving. Good day, sir. I I really liked the like the idea we talked about the the soul going through. Mm -hmm. Um. I guess I can't remember the what is the philosophy behind that? The reincarnation. Yeah, like, reincarnation. Um. I find that fascinating. So I, I really enjoyed seeing the, the characters going through multiple timelines and having, with the exception of Hugo Weaving, <laughs> sort of a, a character, you know, development. <laughs> I do really love the idea that, like, people could be reincarnated into a totally different life, but that doesn't mean you're going to be anything like you were in the life previous. Um, I think that a lot of people if you are somebody who believes in reincarnation and you try and figure out like, Hey, what might have happened to me in a past life? Or you talk to uh, you know, a psychic or something about that. They're usually trying to connect it to who they are today. And that's, you know, in this context, it wouldn't be the case. It would be somebody totally different from you. And it's like, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, right now you're, you know, some freedom fighter in the distant future, but also you are a lawyer who worked for the slave trade for a while. And you did, by the end, figure out slavery was bad. <laughs> but it took you some time. <laughs> I also kind of just realized this. Um, so, like, Hugo Weaving gets killed in the 70s story, and I like the fact that he shows up as a ghost in the very last story. It's mm -hmm. kind of... <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that, but he's one of the few characters that gets, like, killed and, like... That last story for him is him as like a ghost that's trying to corrupt people. I kind of yeah. just love that idea. Um, and then I just like the idea of, you know, the things that we do now might affect something way down the road. Like everything is tied together, our actions as small as they might seem. Butterfly now. effect. Yeah, it was just really powerful and comforting. Like maybe not being able to see the overall picture, mm -hmm. but still feeling important. Yeah, um, right, you know, like Sonia's story in particular, you know, she just had this short, sad life, but she ended up, like, inspiring and influencing the decisions of, you know, hundreds of people in the future. Yeah. It's going to be hard nowadays, because they used to write everything down, so there were letters and novels and books, but no one's going to read my Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> they Unless you become Whoa. the president, and then there actually oh, will God. be a person in the Library of Congress documenting uh, every tweet you send. <laughs> Thank you for. Reminding. Yeah, I always like to drag politics into the fine movie discussions. But it's just like my yeah, thing. I'll say I didn't expect things to get this dark. 
people kindly exit our The toilet green, the the feeding replicants, yeah. replicants, but uh, I draw the line. Having oh, having a guy experience heartache and having his career <laughs> torn away from him and then killing himself. <laughs> not nearly as dark as this. No. So wait, so on that note, how did the symphony get published? So he wrote it down on paper, shot himself in the tub, and then did the old composer take credit for it? Or? Um, what happened was Sixsmith took it to a publisher and it got like, made very published, but very limited and it okay. was never really a huge thing. Got it. Very much like Van Gogh during his lifetime mm-hmm. was kind of what I always looked at it to be similar mm-hmm. to in that, oh yeah, he was actually very brilliant and would be highly respected as an artist way down the road. But for his time, he was a failure and people thought he was crazy and taking too bold of moves. <laughs> Quote, quote Knuckle Sandwich Guy, here's what happens when I have all this now. Exactly. <laughs> um, how did you guys feel about the multiple genres? Or, or I don't know, would you categorize this as one genre? Like, mm. how would you describe this movie? I think it's yeah. a multiple genre. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> part of it. It goes from, like, screwball comedy to hard sci-fi mm-hmm. to um, serious hard-cutting drama within, like, the span of, say, like, one minute, so I, yeah. I, I, I'd say, yeah, it's definitely, it does it effortlessly, mm-hmm. I'll say that it switches between those different, very different types of storytelling very, very well, because the editing is fantastic, yeah. and it, they kind of knew when to cut away to a different story at just the right moment, so, yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. a lot of different genres, but they pulled it off, I'd say. Yeah, mm-hmm. the transitions are really well done. Mm-hmm. Do you know how hard it was to pick an intermission spot? <laughs> <laughs> I was, as I was watching it, I was wondering how you picked an intermission yeah. spot. <laughs> yeah, because everything like builds and feeds into the other, so I mm-hmm. found like a weak point in that that was roughly where I wanted an intermission to be. Mm-hmm. Was the one there. transition that's not like dire, to you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, what was it? <laughs> it was uh, it was one. Uh, Halle Berry's character, I forget her name, uh, was going to um, interview her journalism character when they went to go to interview oh, okay. um, at the uh, the evil nuclear reactor building company that was set in sort of an S. I can't remember. There's so much in this movie, I can't remember any names. There's so many different names and, and everything in that movie, I can't, I can't remember at all. I did love the intermission choice because it opens on Hugo Weaving just being like, oh, wow, if more women are like you, I'll take this whole liberation movement more seriously. (laughs) Perfect opening. Even the comment when it happens. Okay, well, um, that kind of, we're going to wrap up our discussion here. Um, Kind of uh, when we end film punches, we like to talk about um, if we've seen any recent movies, um, would recommend any movies to our listeners. Or if you have any final thoughts. Um, if you haven't said anything, if you have any, you don't have to make any comments, but if you have anything to say, feel free. Pass. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what about you, Dave? Do you have any final thoughts? Um... I think I think I've pretty much covered everything that I wanted to say. Um, I went and saw Murder on the Orient Express, which I enjoyed a lot. Um, if you're a fan of mysteries or Agatha Christie, go see it. <laughs> Michael, do you have any final thoughts or a movie that you've recently seen? <laughs> Thanks, Laura. You're welcome. <laughs>
most released in the summer on the Orient okay. Express. <laughs> um, I, thought, I thought it was good. Um, they did a, what I was really impressed with was, I haven't read the book, but I have read Agatha Christie, and I was really impressed with how well they're arranging pacing. Um, for a movie that's mostly just, you know, people talk, talking to each other on a train, um, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, but uh, I, thought the, I thought the performances were, were just top-notch. There's really, really great performances in the movie. So if you're looking for something, if you've already seen, you know, the new blockbuster, go you know, check out another movie called Murder <laughs> on the Orient Express. <laughs> um, Kevin, do you have any... Uh, thoughts on last thoughts about Let Yeah, so my last thoughts on this movie is that it's awesome, <laughs> and I liked it so much that I picked up the book, and it's now one of my favorite books of all time. <laughs> so if you enjoy watching the movie, I would highly recommend checking the book out. Um, in terms of other recent movies that are really good and worth a film punch, uh, I saw The Hateful Eight recently because it's on Netflix, so I could watch it for free, <laughs> and I thought it was really cool. and. You know, there's a lot of stuff to talk about in there. Quentin Tarantino is always a fun director to dissect his work and see what he's really going for with a certain scene. It's a very bloody movie, but that's his style. So I would say it's worth watching, and it's worth a good film punch at some point in the future. I know it's on my list. I haven't watched it yet. It's on Netflix. You can watch it free. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Final thoughts. I love Cloud Atlas. saw it in theaters and was really, really moved by it and think it's one of the Wachowski's best movies and think it gets a bit of a bad rap that I don't think it warrants, but I can certainly see why some might be brought the wrong way. It's certainly different than most things out there, so you have to be willing to get a bit out of your comfort zone, but I think if you stick with it, that there is a big, very nice payoff throughout the whole story and it's worth checking out. As far as recent movies, um, I saw Lady Bird last night, which is currently my favorite movie of 2017. Uh, Greta Gerwig invented cinema, pretty much, so it's that good. (laughs) Um, And if you love uh, just coming-of-age stories and great acting and great comedy, too, um, definitely go check that one out. Okay. Uh, I also enjoyed Cloud Atlas. Uh, I recommend it over Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> Noted. Um, what movie? I don't know what you're talking about. Channing <laughs> uh, Tatum fights a dinosaur, guys. Go see it. Yes. <laughs> when you put it that way, it sounds really <laughs> different. It sounds so much better than it actually is. Didn't we already get that with Rocky IV? Rocky Tatum. It wasn't Channing Tatum. It wasn't Channing Tatum. It wasn't Channing Tatum, and there wasn't quite a dinosaur that was flying around. <laughs> Rocky Four is one of the best movies ever made. How dare you? Ivan Drago is essentially a dinosaur in that movie, though. Yeah, and he's <laughs> awesome. He doesn't have wings, though. <laughs> Training montages. Um, <laughs> there are so many montages. It's it amazing. Does. It does. So eighties. So eighties. Uh, speaking of eighties and Netflix mentions, and also. Sort of like Tarantino, you know, there's a lot of references built in. I just binged uh, season two of Stranger Things, so there's a lot of, like, yeah. illusions in that. Um, but movies you've seen, not, not wherever Quentin yeah. Tarantino gets this stuff. <laughs> I think from. I mentioned Stranger Things on one or two podcasts ago as well. Oh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little behind the times, but uh, if, like, Stranger Things one, I like this. So there, there's two recommendations see Stranger Things yeah. season two, so It's more cinematic, it. so in terms of film punch, I, I think it's much more cinematic in terms of, like, not a, 
a TV show seems more movie. I mean, mm-hmm. part of that is they actually spent money on special effects and stuff. Yeah. But. Yeah. I'd be fine having a phone punch conversation with Stranger Things. I don't think I've met a single person who has seen Stranger Things and said, eh, it's all right. Oh, I know a lot of people like that, actually. Oh, and, people, and I know someone who... You need who, to defriend those people right now. I actually know someone who felt that way about season one and absolutely adored season two. I mean, they're wrong, and, but okay. I'm actually, like, in the category of thinking season two is way better than season one, but yeah. I feel like most people actually seem to think the opposite, but no, I, I thought season two was incredible. Yeah. Season one was just good. I, I really enjoyed season one, but I, I really think season two takes it to the next level. Mm-hmm. It felt like having the bigger budget and just um, not quite trying to mash things together so much, just trying to do different things was uh, a better thing for the second season, except that episode seven, I think it was. Right. Was it that was yeah. the one that was uh, not so weird. good, but the rest of the season was so good that that one didn't really derail everything for me, but... I actually like that episode. I feel like it gets a lot of pace. <laughs> they needed to give her an arc. She needed something. It yeah. should have happened earlier in the season, not where they decided to put it, which was <laughs> after a very pivotal moment. Yep. That's what I'll say. Is that mm-hmm. If they did it two episodes earlier, it wouldn't have been as jarring. I felt like it was Elle buying the DLC for the video game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And at the end of it, yeah. she got the cool new outfit that comes from <laughs> the but you got to do a cool side quest with a new yep. cast of characters. <laughs> that I hope we don't see again. <laughs> well, I think they offered everyone for, what, two more seasons or something? Yeah, so we'll, yeah. Have four we'll, seasons. we'll see what stranger things happen post-puberty. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm in the camp. I, don't get me wrong, I really liked season two a lot. Like, I thought it was fantastic, but there was, a, but there was a certain just like quality of season one that I don't know if they quite eclipsed. Like, just the general, like... Um, specialness of it, the general, you know, just the, the it, it's got, it's got, it's, it's on a pedestal, I guess. I don't know. And I also disagree about the season episode seven. I think that it was so jarring that it really, it really took me out of it for a bit. Um, and it took a while into into episode eight where I was probably like okay with it again. Like it just, it just, it was such a glaring mistake of placement that any filmmaker would have seen that and done something different to fix it. That's my, that's my thought. The best <laughs> comparison I can think of, I don't know if you guys have seen the last season of Lost, but there's a very similar episode that happens towards the end that mm-hmm. just doesn't focus on any of the main characters, just focuses on, in this case it's mythology, but it's towards the end and happens after a very pivotal episode, and it's like completely knocks you out Isn't of the... Isn't that the chess game or something? Yeah, across yeah. the sea, yeah, that episode yeah i like the last season more than most but that episode is one of the worst and very very badly placed and it's necessary to the overall end game but you could kind of think of some other spots they could have put it in well without letting this get turn into a stranger things all right, well, thank you for listening to Film Punch. Um, you can find us on... Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Film Punch Meetup. And if you have any recommendations or suggestions, you can email us at filmpunch at gmail.com. Um, and, yeah, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>